sometimes on the college beat you wonder what the heck you're going to write about, what the heck you're going to talk about in the middle of July. That is not the case this week as we jump into another episode of the the Purple and Bold podcast from the Daily News Record. I'm Shane Metlin again here uh, flying solo today. Noah's out of town. Nobody else wanted to come in and join me today. So I'm going to talk by myself, talk to myself, um, and everybody's going to have to listen to just me, which is I apologize for. But too much to not have an episode this week going on when it comes to JMU football recruiting, uh, the entire college football world being turned upside down by realignment once again. Um, just a lot to jump into. Uh, we can start with football recruiting because it was a big, big day, uh, 4th of July, for the Dukes as they uh, wrapped up, racked up three commitments on the 4th of July. Um, and I think brought the total number of class of 2023 commitments up to seven, I believe. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> rack up, you know, a good, a good class so far looking good. The move to the Sun Belt, the move to FBS certainly seems to be paying off for JMU on the recruiting trail. Um, and possibly even sort of expanding their reach as far as just getting up and down the entire East Coast when it comes to um, when it comes to recruiting. So I, you're seeing seeing big things happening with JMU football on the recruiting trail right now, and that in itself is you know pretty interesting thing to watch. So on July 4th, you know, JMU racked up three commitments, started out early in the day with a wide receiver from South Carolina, DJ Barksdale, um, made a little bit of an impact there, got a super speedy wide receiver. Um, later on, middle of the afternoon-ish, they added, uh, added Yamir Knight, whose brother Wayne has already uh, committed or has already arrived at JMU, um, top player out of the state of Delaware, um, you know, another, you know, big, big time athlete running back. They're adding to that stable there, um, continuing to look good kind of north of the DMV, which I think may have been one of the question marks with the Sunbelt move is if all the recruiting kind of had to shift south, if it was going to be more difficult to get kids from the northeast, can particularly Pennsylvania, Delaware areas where JMU's recruited pretty heavily and done pretty well in the past. Not really the case. And Exemplified even more by the end of the day, the big one for this recruiting class so far, and big in multiple ways, was the uh, commitment of Daryl Dingoy, I believe is how it's pronounced, 270-pound uh, defensive lineman from Pennsylvania, um, arguably one of the top recruits JMU has picked up in recent years. Three stars coming out of high school, but it's the offer list, it's the other schools that were after him that I think makes it, you know, an interesting and intriguing pickup for JMU. This is a guy who uh, just this spring, it looks like Northwestern 
was probably the leader for him. He'd visited there. He'd been on visits to Rutgers and visits to Penn State. I believe he technically had an offer from Penn State. I don't know if that was you know still committable at this time. Uh, Northwestern, they picked up a couple other defensive linemen down the line, which may have impacted the recruitment there. But Northwestern was still a big player in that recruitment for a long time. And it ends up coming down to JMU and Cincinnati, which we all know Cincinnati coming off a college football playoff appearance last winter, um, getting ready to move into the Big 12, um, has one of the top coaches in the country, has one of the top programs in the country right now. And it comes down to JMU and Cincinnati as the final two with the announcement coming on July 4th. He, on Instagram, picks the Dukes uh, to a lot of celebration from JMU fans. Um, Noah Fleischman is not here today, but had an article in the DNR this morning or put online this morning, uh, going to be in the paper tomorrow on Thursday. Uh, his article kind of on the background of Daryl, uh, came to the United States from Cameroon when he was still young, I think nine years old, played soccer, was a goalie. So he's nimble guy for that size, very athletic, um, potentially a impact player as soon as he arrives on campus and maybe even more impactful as a recruit just to kind of open the door for anybody who's considering those power five offers to now can kind of consider JMU as a program that recruits on that level. And, you know, mentioned it on the radio here a little bit earlier with Dave Riggert. Um, but Jamie's always swung above its weight class a little bit when it came to recruiting. When they were an FCS program, they were recruiting FBS kids. And they would get some, they would lose out on some who just said, I want to play FBS, I want to play a group of five, I want to be in bowl games rather than the playoff, all that stuff. Um, but now you're seeing them swing above the weight class, continue to swing above the weight class, but they're just in a higher weight class right now. They're, you know, <clears throat> middleweights playing against heavyweights as opposed to you know being a lightweight trying to get to the middleweight guys it's it's you know how much one recruit especially a non-quarterback recruit has a direct impact on the wins and losses of a program right away can probably be overstated but the fact that they're getting this kind of guy and it's coming down to those levels of programs in JMU, and they're not only having JMU on the list, they're picking JMU at this point. really says a lot about uh, the coaching staff, Kurt Zignetti and his staff, who's always been known for being able to recruit well um, and evaluate well. It says a lot about what they're doing right now and how they're taking advantage of this move to the Sun Belt, the FBS, where they're getting in, where they're getting in, foots in the door recruiting places maybe they might not have otherwise and they're continuing to really just continuing to do well in their traditional strongholds it that's you know the one thing they're they're moving south all their games basically are going to be played down south it opens up the door for georgia possibly alabama maybe even texas and stuff a little bit more recruiting wise for jmu i think all of a sudden atlanta along with the dmv and the carolinas becomes like huge recruiting areas for JMU now. And you saw that even on even on this weekend where they get recruited out of South Carolina right now. They've got seven recruits from, I think, five different states. But they're still up there in 
the Pennsylvanias where they've always done really well. Um, you know, the names like, you know, Dunichi and Stapleton and those guys that came from Pennsylvania. Seems like that's not going to end for JMU, even with a change in conference affiliation where playing in the CAA, where you're going to play up north, you're going to play Villanova and Delaware. Like, <clears throat> that probably had some appeal to those Pennsylvania recruits, even if you're looking at FCS program with potential to play at FBS level. JMU brought that to you. They're not losing that right now with the ability to p- recruit Delaware, Pennsylvania, that region of the country. Uh, that's going to be a big thing for JMU because the competition for recruits down south is obviously going to be huge. You know, you go to Atlanta, you've got to get those guys away from Georgia, Georgia Southern, Coastal Carolina, not to mention, you know, any SEC or ACC opportunities those guys might have. So leaving that door open to Pennsylvania is a huge deal for JMU, and the fact that they're continuing to recruit well up north, I think, is <clears throat> that's going to be a big thing, a big factor for JMU because when you look at the group of five, especially that level of recruit, you got Buffalo way up north, and you're seeing JMU on the list with Buffalo with a lot of a lot of recruits, and you've got some MAC teams. A little bit west of there, you're seeing Kent State and some programs like that offering and recruiting and coming down being finalists for the same kids that JMU's recruiting. But for the most part, there's a little bit of a like void in that area of the country. You're either, you know, an ACC, Big Ten level recruit, or your other options locally are FCS. So if JMU is a big option there in Pennsylvania, especially, and you know, Kurt Signetti's roots are in Western Pennsylvania. Um, that's a big, big advantage for them. He knows that area. He knows the people there. JMU could really kind of fill a void as possibly the premier group of five program for those school for those kids to look at from Pennsylvania, especially Delaware. They're getting some good players out of Delaware right now, but. Um, I don't know if you can always count on Delaware to be super talent-rich compared to Pennsylvania. There are always players in Pennsylvania. And, you know, Daryl Dingoy is just an example of a guy who's, you know, kind of the borderline of the Power 5 level recruit versus the Group of 5 level recruit. And he had those offers. And he sees an opportunity to really make an instant impact at a school like JMU. And JMU is right there in that region. It's not too far it's closer than Buffalo. It's probably as close as Kent State in places. And Jimmy can really kind of fill that mid-Atlantic void for the group of five. Um, <clears throat> I think I think that'll be a big, big, big situation for JMU to monitor just how much they continue to recruit out of Pennsylvania and how much competition that then is with Del- uh, ODU because they're going to look at some of the same guys, especially with uh, you know Ricky Ronnie coming. He, he's got you know Penn State roots and everything. That, that's going to be um, interesting how much these Virginia schools in the Sun Belt really kind of continue to look at Pennsylvania as a hotbed for recruiting and so far so good for JMU in that regard. Okay, before we get uh, into all the realignment stuff, I'll direct everybody to go check out my Twitter account, Shane underscore DNR Sports, uh, <clears throat> on Twitter. And if you're interested in following the basketball tournament this summer, the Founding Fathers, uh, the Jamie alumni team that's making their second straight appearance in the basketball tournament over in Charleston later this month in a few weeks, 
You want to follow those guys. You want to have some fun. You want an opportunity to possibly win cash, prizes, uh, or just bragging rights. Go over there. Sign up for uh, the, the tournament, the TBT Bracket Challenge. There's a link on my Twitter. Scroll down a couple couple posts. You'll find it. Um, there is a Purple and Bold podcast league for the bracket. Winners of the leagues, if we get uh, 20 or more people signed up, uh, there's going to be prizes for whoever wins our, our league. Uh, should be fun. Fun way to watch the tournament, follow the Founding Fathers, those JMU guys, um, you know, a lot of those 2013 Dukes who made it to the NCAA tournament the last time JMU was in the NCAA tournament. So JMU uh, Legends playing for the Founding Fathers team. Go there, follow the link. Uh, there's also, you know, a pin to enter so you can get into the Founding Fathers, the Purple and Bold bracket. You can play the overall bracket as well. But if you want to play Purple and Bold, with JMU fans, with listeners of this podcast, and have a chance to win some prizes that are you know specific to the winner of our personal league. I've already filled out my bracket, so it's on there. Go to my Twitter. Again, you can either search my name, Shane Metlin, in the Twitter box or type in at Shane underscore DNR Sports. The link is there. The pin is in the post. Just sign up for that. should be fun and uh, should be Make it a good way to follow those guys, uh, which should be a good time regardless of if you play the bracket game or not. They had a good showing, almost upset the number one seed last year. They are a five seed going into this year's TBT. The chance to you know, knock off the Marshall alumni team, so we got a little bit of Sunbelt action early. That really is like, that's really the start of the new Sunbelt. It happens in the basketball tournament in Charleston, West Virginia, later this month. Uh, so that should be fun to get a little bit of bragging rights going between the Marshall and the JMU fan bases early on, before we even get to football season, before we even get to official JMU Marshall Sunbelt action. That'll be a cool thing to check out. But play the, play the bracket game. Should be fun. Now, moving on to what everybody's talking about college sports right now uh <clears throat> bombshell july 1st the day that jmu old dominion marshall southern miss all officially joined the sunbelt conference that became official there was other realignment news that kind of rocked everything overshadowed that a little bit on a national scale although i think um here in the shenandoah valley in virginia in sunbelt territory the focus was still largely on those schools joining the Sun Belt, getting the 14 teams, everything. But college football, college sports in general, are going to change because UCLA, USC, Southern Cal are joining the Big Ten. Sort of came from out of nowhere that, that there would be another round of monumental monumental uh, realignment i don't think it came out of nowhere that it was ucla southern california joining the big 10 at this time was a surprise because they kept that a big secret <clears throat> similar to texas and oklahoma last july when they decided to leave the big 12 for the sec that really you didn't hear a word about it until right before it happened 
uh, very similar with UCLA and USC joining the Big Ten. Uh, it's going to make a coast-to-coast Big Ten conference, which is now up to 16 teams, and really just opens up a ton of more questions. Will the SEC and the Big Ten stick at 16? Will they expand even further? 20 or more, possibly? Now they are looking like Power 2 conferences as opposed to the, what's been the Power 5. They're clearly on a level above the other school, the other conferences when it comes to probably quality on the field, but also especially when it comes to TV markets, money, how much they're going to command from the networks. And it's it's a monumental shift also just because you're really seeing now it become a two-television network situation. This is ESPN driving one conference one way, Fox driving it another way. They're going to pick and choose the teams they want to create their two own super conferences, the TV deals, what we expect from college football on TV, what teams they play, when they play, how they schedule, how they get paid. All that stuff could change drastically and in ways that were frankly kind of unimaginable not too long ago. Um, and then all that eventually trickles down to impacting the Sun Belt and James Madison one way or another, whether it's what teams are available for them to schedule moving forward, whether it's their conference, the Sun Belt changing eventually on its own. It's really too early to say. But, you know, I read about this a little bit today um, because obviously <clears throat> when something like this happens, and especially if you're a Sun Belt fan, you saw this happen last summer and how quickly a decision by Oklahoma and Texas changed your conference. Because almost immediately, the trickle-down for the group of five conferences began. Uh, teams, <clears throat> as soon as Oklahoma and Texas made their decision they were leaving the Big 12, you see people like Jeff Bourne, the JMU Athletic Director, immediately spring into action knowing something's going to happen and it might be an opportunity for JMU. Soon... The Big 12 is taking teams from the American Athletic Conference. The American Athletic Conference is taking teams from other places, the Conference USA. And in the meantime, the Sun Belt is solidifying itself and picking up the four schools that end up officially joining just the other day to create a solid 14-team conference with a tight regional geographic makeup, rivalries, Teams that want to play each other, teams that know each other, respect each other, are peers on multiple levels. Some of it looks good, and it looked really good on July 1st. It continues to be in solid shape and about as stable as any Group of Five conference could possibly be right now as everyone kind of waits to see what the Power Five leagues end up doing, uh, which is it's a wait-and-see situation for almost everybody. If you're in a Sun Belt, you've got to feel pretty good about where you are just because even in a worst-case scenario, the Sun Belt could stick the way it is and provide their fans with a desirable product, games that their fans want to see. You know, Even if the road to the playoff isn't as open as you thought it might end up being, even if the possibility of scheduling you know, a, an SEC team or whatever, even if that dries up because of TV deals and 
ESPN and Fox manipulating the situations. Who knows? But if you're in the Sun Belt, you've got to feel fine where you are right now. If you're JMU, you're great because you're going to play Marshall and App State and ODU and be in a better conference. If you're App State, ODU, Arkansas State, you're feeling the same thing. You're feeling like, okay, even if things go completely off the rails for college football, the Sun Belt is what we want the Sun Belt to be. But then the question is, is it? Or do we want the Sun Belt to be bigger? Because, you know, obviously anytime something like this happens, fans immediately start wondering about, like, who might end up in their conference. Will anybody leave? Will they add anybody? And obviously the leadership of the Sun Belt, the president's athletic directors of the schools, Keith Gill and his office, they're surely meeting, they're surely talking, they're surely planning for how they can react to whatever situations possibly come about. Whether that's the Big 12 looking at Pac-12 schools and the Pac-12 then backfilling with Mountain West schools and possibly some American schools like an SMU, whether it's the Big 12 looking to add American schools like a Memphis or something like that, or the Big 12 then stealing from the Pac-12 or any kind of merger with the ACC. There's so many possibilities. It's going to trickle down to the group of five somehow. How it ends up affecting the Sun Belt exactly is not quite clear, but it, it's going to affect the Sun Belt one way or another, whether it's a huge thing like changing the membership or not. It's too early to say. But if the Sun Belt does decide, okay, hey, <clears throat> might be in our best interest to go to 16 teams, who would they look at and why? Well, for one thing, going to 16 teams might not be the best idea if you're the Sun Belt. You've got you know, a manageable 14-team league right now. You've got a nice 7-7 seven and seven divisional split east and west. You've got teams who are playing schedules they want to play. It might not make much sense to go to bigger than 14 right now. And I wrote about this today, and you know, talking with former commissioner Carl Benson, who is no longer associated with the Sun Belt, but he knows what's going on, and he can speak freely about it compared to some other people. I uh, talked to other sources who didn't want their names attached to it for obvious reasons. Um, you know, looking into like the Sun Belt's TV deal compared to the Americans' TV deal, everything. It really, what it really boils down to is. Expanding might eventually make sense for the Sun Belt, but only in probably very particular situations. And you can click on my article on dnronline.com, read this. I get in depth about like the TV contracts, things like that. But really, for the Sun Belt, there are two factors. There is, can they enhance their TV contract with ESPN by adding any more teams? Would adding two more teams increase the payday for the existing teams at all. And would those teams want to come to the Sun Belt compared to the payday that they might be getting elsewhere? So that's one factor. And another factor for the Sun Belt is geography. The ge- getting the geography right and contracting the geography of the Sun Belt, making it a regional league, was one of the main goals of adding the teams that they did to begin with. Now you've got 14 football playing schools in the Sun Belt, and <clears throat> the, the divisions split up very nicely east and west. You know, JMU's 
got their, you know, what was referred to as the mythical East Coast Conference for so long. Their East Division of the Sun Belt is basically what they were aiming for with that for almost a decade. Now, if you expand in the Sun Belt, it makes no sense to like start looking at, okay, well, maybe Boise State will be available, and now you've, you've ruined your geography with the possibility that you know Boise State would be a nice draw, but it probably would increase your TV revenue by enough to make it worth expanding a geography like that. Teams like a Temple or a Buffalo, any, anything like that. Maybe even even like getting into South Florida, with you know some of those teams around the Miami area, you're still expanding your geography probably more than it would take to be worth it on the TV side of things. So it really narrows it down to like only a handful of schools make any kind of sense for the Sun Belt to look at as expansion. You got in East Carolina, who would fit perfectly into that East Division. You got a Memphis, who would fit very nicely into the West division. UAB is a similar situation um, in the West, Texas, San Antonio. There, there are a few schools that might fit into the West, especially if you added East Carolina in the East and you bounce it out eight and eight again. And one advantage to expanding in that circumstance is you actually kind of tighten up your geography even more because you can continue to focus on your, Re, on your <clears throat> divisions perhaps even more especially in non-football sports you may play even more division games and eliminate a lot of that travel cross division and eventually um you know you just had a conference champion in a conference tournament or a championship game that encompasses both divisions but you've got a pretty even geographic and competitive split even if you go to 16 if you say add ecu or memphis or ECU and UAB or a Tulane or Texas San Antonio UTSA in any of those teams like it could work but the next question is okay would those schools be interested right now the American it had been pretty much unfathomable a couple of years ago to imagine that to even suggest that a Memphis might want to leave the American for the Sun Belt if Memphis was going to leave the American, it was going to be for you know the Big Twelve or something like that. Um, the Sun Belt was well below, and Steve, still even like at this very moment, the American has a much better TV deal than the Sun Belt. The situation with the American though is that they're going to lose Cincinnati, they're going to use, lose UCF, and they're going to lose um, Houston. So they're. TV deal within a couple of years is not going to be anywhere near as lucrative as it is now, which right now pays you know their legacy teams I think seven to eight million dollars a year compared to about two million dollars a year for the Sun Belt teams. By the time those teams are gone and the Sun Belt and the American renegotiates into a new deal, they're going to be on about the same level as the Sun Belt when it comes to how much they're getting paid per team. So that's when you might be able as a Sunbelt commissioner, as a Sunbelt leadership, to come to a Memphis that has always been more on the cusp of a power five than moving to what was at one point a low-level group of five conference in the Sunbelt. Um, that's when you might be able to come to a Memphis and say, hey, look, not only will you get as much money TV-wise in the Sunbelt now as you do in the American and the door is closed on the Power Five. But you're also in a tighter geographic thing. You're going to save money. You're going to have 
Arkansas State right down the road, you're going to renew your black and gold, black and blue rivalry with Southern Miss, who you've played dozens of times over the years. You can, you know, <clears throat> you can really kind of, you know, fit into this new Sun Belt. We're going to be the best group of five league east of the Rockies. We're replacing the American. You should come on board. And the idea of saying that to Memphis a couple years ago was just absolutely insane. It's possible that within months from now that that's not insane at all. And that's the thing, I think, when you look at Sunbelt expansion, that's how you got to look at it, that things are changing drastically. And it's really a matter of the Sunbelt doesn't have to expand, but if they do, they should go after the big fish which right now I think are, is Memphis, is East Carolina, possibly UAB or somebody like that. But if the Sunbelt could expand to add ECU and Memphis, that would make a lot of sense for that league. You, you add two big names that are going to help your TV deal to some degree, probably not you know, make a huge difference annually per school, but you're certainly not hurting yourself by adding those teams for ESPN purposes. And you're also adding teams that your fans are going to be excited to play against. They're not going to break your budget travel-wise. You're going to sell tickets for those games. That seems like not only a doable move, but you know a prudent move for the Sun Belt at this time, if they could ever do that. Otherwise, I don't see expansion being something that they really need to think too much about. Because 16-team leagues historically have not fared well. And it's one thing if you're getting paid $100 million a year to join the Big Ten as UCLA. Then you figure out how to make your travel work. You figure out how to make everything else work because you know, you've know you got $100 million to play with to make it work. When you're talking $2, $3 million a year for the Sun Belt, it's a completely different situation. That's when your hour bus trips from San Marcos to San Antonio or from Jonesboro, Arkansas to Memphis – make a big difference. That's when ODU actually making ECU their closest rival down the coast, that makes a huge difference. That that's that's a big deal on the Sunbelt level. The geography and continuing to enhance your geographic profile, not expand it but contract it, is really the key for the Sunbelt moving forward, even more than T V. And that that's an interesting thing to factor in when you're not talking about these gigantic leagues that have their own networks and everything else um so that'll be interesting to see how that plays out i don't see anything major happening with the Sun Belt as far as realignment at least for now things could happen fast because you know we saw that happen last summer that within a few months you know jamie was already officially accepted into the Sun Belt along with ODU and other schools. That, that happened in a matter of months and weeks. Similar situations could happen this time around um, if another school gets added, but they won't know anything until they really see how the Pac-12 and the Big 12 and the ACC and those schools react to what's happened and what and Notre Dame chooses to do. They've got to wait for the trickle down here. But as we saw with the Sun Belt, their leadership uh, going back to the summer and fall of last year, they were prepared to move quickly. They did. They made the best move possible for their conference. I would expect to see similar things happen for the Sun Belt, whether 
whether the best move is to make no move at all or whether it is to make some invitations to some schools that can kind of enhance your profile, we'll wait and see. But that's kind of where as complicated as things get when it comes to realignment, that is where the Sun Belt basically stands right at this moment. And by the time we come back in here next week, things may be completely different. But that that's how it fits into the to the latest news when it comes to UCLA and USC that kind of rocked college football just a few days ago. And with that, I will let you guys off the hook from listening to my single voice with no Noah or anybody else today. And we'll wrap up this episode of the Purple and Bold podcast from the Daily News Record. Again, check out my Twitter. Join up on the um, Founding Fathers TBT Purple and Bold podcast bracket challenge there should be fun uh check that out check out dnronline.com read stories from myself and noah fleischman uh, a lot of recruiting news from jmu sports a lot of stuff happening even in the dog days of summer here and till then thank you for listening and goodbye